0: Hey, you've just tuned in to Ghosted, a Power Book 2 series review from the Get It Right Podcast. Hey, y'all, we back. It is episode two, Exceeding Expectations. So the description is as follows. Haunted by the legacy of his father, Tariq tries to understand who James St. Patrick was to the people in his life, how it shaped Tariq's own life and how the memories of his father define the man Tariq wants to become. All right, a little bit more information on the episode titles. So if you haven't really noticed so far, the episodes are titled based on Tariq's course syllabus for canonical studies. Um, The first episode, The Stranger, I believe that was the entrance exam book. So we get into the episode with the recap of Tariq getting back in the game, Tasha being smacked with these Fed charges by Cooper Sacks, and Rick and Braden reconnecting to run the game on the campus of Stansfield University, and Davis and Sacks having a face-off. And the episode ended with, this is not a Fed case, and Sacks goes, it is now. So, we open to the creep-ass Marshall watching Tasha squirm and loving every minute. She is waiting here for Davis to come brief her about some updates about her case. And Davis enters with his partner, Paula. Paula Matarano, I think is how you say her last name. Uh, so they enter and begin to question Tasha on the new charges and ask her about her role in Ghost and Tommy's organization. They're like, okay, so it has to be more to the story you aren't telling us if they come out of nowhere and smack you with Fed charges, a RICO case, and want you to be named as the queenpin of a drug organization. So what was her true motive for, quote, asking Tommy to kill ghosts? Was it domestic issues or was it a queen pen move? So Davis pretty much shows us here, the audience, why he's a great lawyer and preps Tasha for her testimony by how he's wording these questions he's asking her. So Davis and Paula also inquire how payments are coming to them for their services and from whom? Like the form, like, is it coming from your mom? Is it coming from your son? Like, who are we expecting this from? Because especially with these new allegations now, they definitely are trying to away from Cash that she's hot right now. And they're not trying to touch that part because he's already caught up with, you know, some cases that he's been representing. These heavy criminals that are clearly doing things that they are accused of. Tasha done did some shit clearly, but she didn't do this. So, Tasha also reveals that she thought Simon was paying for her lawyer. Plot twist. So, Tamika was her lawyer because Cooper asked. I guess then she assumed as well. But she was familiar with Tamika and the whole... Case that she was trying to bring up against Ghost and Tommy and their organization. So she thought that your boy Simon Stern was paying for him because remember, the reason that she got Reek into Stansfield was to promise him to hand over the Club Empire once Tariq gets this four-year bachelor's degree from his alma mater, Stanfield, so she played that real well. She lured him into, you know, backing Tariq and saying like, "Oh, this kid needs to be here. I'm vouching for him." So we jump to Tariq counting the leftover money from his deal with Epiphany, and. He's counting it before he stashes it. Zeke comes out of the bathroom, apparently from getting dressed or whatever. And Tariq asks how he gets all this fly gear if college players don't get paid for their services. So this is where Zeke pulls his little spoiled move. Maybe not that, like a humble flex. My auntie Monet takes care of me. And he tells, you know, him pretty much like she wants my focus to be on basketball. I'm going to the league. That's the family plan. She's making sure that I want for nothing while we do this. So he also gives Tariq a heads up that he's going to be going back to pick something up from her at the house. And he's going to have the room to the face. So if he wants to bring a shorty through. Right. So this is also a joke back to how they met in episode one when Zeke, you know, getting some buns. So, um... So next Tariq asks if he could pull up with them for dinner and Zeke blasts him for, he's like, dang, you hate the cat food already. Like you just got here, but Reek shows how he's the finesse God. He's manipulative and calculated. He is playing the long game here. So I'm sure the food in the Ivy league is not that bad. (laughs) Um, It can't be the absolute worst. I'm sure they probably have like lobster and stuff too. But then you got to think, I don't know what the meal plan situation is with his, you know, and how things are being paid through James's estate. So I'm sure he probably does get sick of that food. We know he got his grandma house to go to, but she's worth some. So I don't blame him for wanting to go. But then Zeke mentions that he has to meet with Professor Milgram, and, you know, he pretty much insinuates like that that she's fine AF, but he, you know, uses different language, you know, two young guys talking comfortably, he refers to her as a bitch, of course, because hip-hop culture, street culture, <laughs> misogynoir, the list goes on, but... Yes, yeah, so Tariq advises him to read this paper. So she's his advisor, and he's on academic probation. So she's, you know, just doing a check in on him. And of course, Tariq has this experience with her from the canonical studies program. So Tariq is pretty much like, man, do your homework on this paper you did. Like read it and know some stuff, cause she be asking hella questions, bro. You need to know your shit. Um because she defends or she used to be <laughs> rather. So he don't want it to blow up the spot because they have a secret arrangement that, you know, he's helping Zeke there. They're pretty much thinking he's helped study, but, but we already knew what it was because clearly he's not the brightest star. And he, you know, it's bringing a lot of press and people to Stansfield for his athleticism. And he clearly doesn't plan to play more than the one year required of college ball now to go into the league, so he doesn't want to make the block hot on their little arrangement. So we then see Zeke and the kind, con- not Zeke, mm. Reek. I keep telling y'all, I get caught up with this Zeke Reek to meet Katasha, like like it's a DMX song, <laughs> but. Yeah, so we come into canonical studies class where your girl, light-skinned Keisha, a.k.a. Bruce Andrea is putting a yuppie and a Ben Carson wannabe in that mf in place with her long acrylics and all clinkity clank clank, clank. And I am here for it, honestly. Because we know there are many ways, we're not a monolith, we always hear that. Expression sometimes I'm here sick of hearing black people say black people are on a monolith. We know that, but I'm so happy to see a character of her characteristics as a hood girl, you know, that's very smart, that's in this Ivy League school. Not only that, but also in this elite, prestigious canonical studies program. So, like I said before. Your boy Reek is late per usual. He's pulling up and he ain't low. So he's in the back and he sits right next to Lauren. And then here comes bitch ass Professor Reynolds with his hating ass. So he introduces Tariq to the class and asks him to share his take on the book they read, which is also the title again Exceeding Expectations. And this is by Charles Dickens, um, a classic piece of literature. So they are going into discussing these themes. Now, Lauren's old goody 2 shoot ass make the, blow up the spot. She's trying to show off, you know, because she wants to look good and do that. So the question she asks: blast that yet again, Tariq I ain't finished the book selection. So in this time... He wasn't only juggling his mom's case, but writing Zeke's paper and selling this work. (laughs) Um, So he has double the work in in a school perspective, but triple if you're talking about his secret life as a drug dealer. So that Moby Dick paper was a lot. It was like a long requirement. I forget. It was like, I think at least 10 pages. I don't really remember, but... Here go Professor Reynolds with his bitch assness. Rod and reek. And then Bruchandria makes a joke like, oh, Professor Reynolds got time today. And everybody in the class laughs because I guess typically he doesn't really, you know, call people out. Because, you know, to be in this program, you have to know how to be on your shit for this class. It ain't for the faint. Of heart. It's not for the weak. It's not for the, Oh, I got so much other stuff. Like it's all about balance and stuff in college. So, and this is a big adjustment for Reek, especially differences from his past life at private schools and all of that. So for those who already viewed the entire season, an example of how he was a day one hater presents itself yet again here because Again, episode one, season one, episode one, where before they even met, he was like, he don't even need this. Like, he just was trying to go against Carrie because she was fighting to get this student in the class. So we jump back to Davis, texting Tariq while he's in class, and he gives him the rundown in person when they meet up, and he tells him about the new charges and allegations. Against Tasha presented in court by Cooper Sacks at the urging of Stephen Ott. So he asks what he wants to do, and he does his best. Like, okay, so they're sitting here discussing it, and Tariq is pretty much telling him what he's gonna do. He's like, Well, work the political angle. Like, this should be a walk in the park for you. Like, this is what you be doing, bruh. So He then proposes that Tariq gives the eulogy at Ghost's funeral, but also throws him under the bus, like throw dirt on his name, smite him and be like, oh, my father was this, my father was that. He was a terrible person to make Tasha look good because that is an opportunity for potential jury members to see that information, like all that stuff is public knowledge. And, you know, they weed people out in the jury selection process. But when this information is out there, this is a highly publicized case. So that is a way he's working that political angle. And then there's more politics and stuff that happens at the funeral we'll get to. And Davis really books up here because He says, well, it's your father's legacy or your mom's life. Grow some balls. Like, pretty much you got to make a decision here. You can't be on the fence. Your dad is dead and gone, but your mom is still here, and she's accused of his murder. You want her free or not? So then he goes back to that night at the strip club. Oops, I done jumped ahead of myself with this chicken scratch again from my notes. My bad. So after Davis and Tariq's conversation, Braden runs into Tariq on campus again. And he tells Tariq, like, y'all been blowing your phone up. What's going on? And he asks if he wants his support at the funeral. So here he's really trying to be a good friend because, you know, he knows all that Tariq went through before his dad died and and, you know, with his twin dying and everything. And he asks if he wants him there. And Rick kinda of ices Braden out again here. And he tells him, No. But Braden, he's so cute. And so he's like, Do you want me to comment? Like, do, do you want to hug? Like, pretty much like, you know, I'm not even talking to me much, but like, is there anything I can do? Like really trying to be a good friend. And then after Tariq declines, it's just, it's just a good way to like, just showing that, like, okay. We're men, but we don't have to always be so hard and crass and we're still friends at the end of the day. I want to be here for you. When you're ready, I got your back. So then he goes back to their night in the strip club. Like, after he dismisses it, he's like, okay, well, let's talk about this night. And he prized a little bit more about Epiphany. He's like, yo, she was feeling you. She, she working for you? Like, what's going on? And Tariq's not having it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Brayden's obviously... Pressed about getting back into the game again for reasons we don't know yet, but then he invites Reek to a party, a party at his brother's frat house. Very dude, bro, frat. Um, it's not even going there yet. But Bray sees Reek's phone blow up, and then he splits again because Tariq is always on the go, always on the run, and always late or damn near late, cutting it close to somewhere. <clears throat> but his phone was a meeting with Simon Stern. He was like, you know, meet me here, um, just to grab coffee and a chat. And Sterns um, came to see him, and Zeke like talking about giving the green light. Um, while they're meeting, Zeke is giving giving him the green light, like, yo, you could come through for dinner. But when Stern is talking to him, you know, he he pretty much. <clears throat> Tells him the opposite of what Davis had asked him to do. He's like, nah, you got to save your father's reputation. Because much like what the DNC is trying to do, he's trying to save his ass and his reputation. But unlike the DNC, he knew the whole time that, you know, Ghost had some shit on the side going on. But he ain't care. White dude, greedy about money. He's like, look, as long as I get my money, and, you know, if you're an original power series fan, you just know about all the undercutting, he, under my, like all the ways, sneaky ways, the Simon Stern." Finesse a bag Up out of ghosts So while they're there He's just spilling tea like I remember this stuff Like he sees the book that Reek is reading for canonical studies He's like yeah and he talks about the fancy Coffee that they had he's like you know We just had black coffee and coke when I was here He's like, just very casual rich shit Like oh yeah you know coke kept me going Um like I don't know What you are doing bro but I had that white girl Um <clears throat> so, we also see that Vreek got his invite for Tejada family dinner. And <laughs> so we see Monet paying people dust and sliding her ring back on after riding in the cop car. yeah. <laughs> pinning that later because you know her and Ramirez got a little thing um I was trying not to have like too much innuendo in that but they fucking okay they is getting in on the low her husband got a life sentence you know those conjugal visits don't hit but so often and a woman has her needs so you know she has a dual purpose for Ramirez so he's trying to pillow talk Monet and sell her candy and whisper sweet nothings. And he wants more than a transactional relationship, but she's deading that. And she pretty much says, like, fuck out of here. My husband's name. He might be in jail for life, but his name alone, like, is getting me protection out in these streets. Like, I'm good. Like, I don't really need you to protect me. I need you to do the things I need you to do behind the scenes that you have access to as a cop. But other than that, I'm not trying to take this nowhere. You know what? Matter of fact, it's time for you to go because dinner's coming up and the kids can't see you, especially my son came because we know he's the firecracker and he's the shooter. And she has to get ready for family dinner. You know, I don't know if she was cooking because I didn't show her, but you know, she was cooking up a couple things that she was then go ahead, name. Get show groove back. So oh, before she <laughs> kicks homeboy out the bed, she says, you know, he's trying to say, you know, we got a connection. And she's like, no connection is trumping like what my husband's name does for me. Okay. I try to write I've a little footnote about wanting to know more about something, but yeah, that ain't working. Um, because chicken scratch. I want to know more about, oh, yeah, Ramirez's tattoos. It's like, well, does he have, you know, some prior gang affiliation stuff, too? Because daddy is tatted cinematic, okay, when he is in that bed. Like, it's you know, people do have a lot of tattoos, you know, in a lot of professions. It doesn't matter. But, you know, it's like, well, what is his connection to the Tejada family? We know Ramirez is, you know, it's clearly not the same thing. Like, are they cousins? Are they some sort of kin? Like, how they know each other? They just grew up on the same block or whatever. Like, so what is going on? Um, I wonder if we'll hear more about that in season two. Uh, But again, she kicks him out because she don't want him there and she don't want the kids to see him. So we are at dinner now and Zeke is working hard to sound like he knows what the hell he's talking about, (laughs) but he still tries to, oh, wait, no. This is still daytime. Okay. So my page notes are a little different because I wrote it on a legal pad and it's like I use both sides and it's doing a lot. So we cut to Zeke trying to mac on Professor Milgram and his check-in for this academic probation shit. So she's asking him general questions like, you know, how's it going? What's going on? And he's trying to pry and like, you know, get to know her and try to, you know, bring everything back to her. But she's not having it. She got other stuff on her mind. And, you know, she asked about how the help is going with his new roommate, Tariq. But he's still trying to push up. Like, yeah, like, so how old are you? Because you looking mad young. Like, and she's pretty much like, so that biology test you got, you ready or nah? And then he um, pretty much spills the tea to her about ghost funeral being the very next day and then she's you know her ears perk up she parks up like kind of like you would see a dog on command I hate to make that reference um but she just is like oh no like what's going on like is he okay like she starts asking questions about Tariq and he's like oh I don't know I ain't worried about them like so again he's trying to learn tell more about himself and and his, he's failing hard at trying to drop these breadcrumbs because she is paying him dust. And she pulls up her email, I think, at this point, and emails Reek, and it comes to his phone, and he gets it. I think he's still talking to Stern. Yep, my notes are on point. Look at me in my memory recall. Ew, ew. So, um. and he's telling, Stern is telling Tariq in this next scene, Um, How it's a bad idea to trash his dad at the funeral. Um, Again, that's where he sees his book and reminisces on his time as a student at Stansfield. And he gives a little bit more hints to give Tariq's insight on the book. Because remember, he won't always finish these things. But it could also be like hard, it's boring, it's corny. And he he was mentioning that to Zeke when he was... um, Working on a Moby Dick paper. He was like, yeah, I read that shit mad times. Like schools always make you read this like boring stuff. So he doesn't elude anything from what I can tell, um, where the audience could pick up that he read this book before, but Simon Stern is pretty much saying it's a story for, it's a story for poor people because it says your moral code is more important than ambition. And that, and then he ties it to James, AKA Ghost week's dead. So he reveals that he's paying, he's paying a bit, but it's, it doesn't, it's not doing anything for Tasha. Um, it's being punishes. Oh no. He said it's being business I'm talking about his business partnership as leverage. So that's what he's doing. And of course that email, like I said, had popped up, but he's trying to use that business left, like, oh, hang it over Tariq's head in a way, but he's getting cocky because, okay, that was lip service. That was a verbal contract. Of course, that's not something that could be put on paper because it's like, oh, how are you, you know, doing this in a family's time of grief, you know, and Tasha, of course, would have said or done anything to get, you know, Tariq in a better position because look at what ended up happen, happening. So we're back with Davis and Paula talking strategy for Tasha's case. Paula then advises him that they walk away because Reek and Tasha lie. And of course we all know that. But then Davis said, do you think, do you really think she's the boss? Like trying to bring it to like, you know, thinking I guess in the back of his head, all that stuff that Reek said is like, yeah, but like they can't really pull like this. So like, do you really think it's likely for her to be running this. And they do at the same time, these cut scenes of, of Cooper sex with Stephen and I and John Mock. And they're strategizing how to bury Tasha at the same time, despite them all knowing that it's not true. She's no queen pen. Yes, she may have played a part, but she didn't run stuff. And this was a really good blend to me. In this scene to see how both sides of a case are working to prove their point in court. And yeah, this was really, really good to me. Um, Especially cinematography, how, where they chose to cut the lines and the scenes to blend in. And this is when Davis brings up to Paula, it's about what you can prove in court. It's not about what's true And Sachs is then told by the team that he'll pretty much have a blank check. He can hire whoever he wants. Look, and Stephen literally tells him, just land the fucking plane. Like, pretty much shut the fuck up. Stop asking all these questions. Just do your job. We're giving you the stems to it. Just make this thing work to have these allegations come away from James. If he's connecting her to her in this way, fine, but we can't let the world know that he's running shit. And I love Mock. And I want to see more of him, hopefully, in Tate's spinoff, because we know that he's gonna be, you know, in DC. Um, hopefully, while he is running for governor. And of course, those offices are in DC, and that's where John Mock's office is, and lawyers and everything. We know Tate is dirty and has all his past and history, but I really do hope to see him more in these spinoff series because, as I mentioned in the last episode, I'm a fan of his work. He's very great, and I think he's fine. Um, <laughs> but we're gonna take a quick commercial break and get back into it. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Special thank you to our sponsor, Anchor. Let's get back into it. So we resume in this next scene with Tariq and Tasha having a visit. So she's saying to him, it seems like a good idea to protect his father, as Stern suggested. Now, he almost lets the name go slip out his lips while they're talking. And he has to be very um, careful. He's doing a pretty good job of talking and code in this scene. Um, something I suspect he learned from Kanan. Um, we did see some lessons from, of that in the original series. Not much about his mom or dad, like teaching him how to speak in code, um, like on the phone and such. There. But she's mad that Davis went behind her back to tell him. To tell Tariq, being him, to rip his father to shreds in this eulogy. And she also <laughs> asks another question in peak black mama mode. And if you got a black mama, you know what I mean, and you know I'm free so I'm making this, I'm saying this. She's talking to him through her teeth. And she's asking him if he reopened the daycare to pay for Davis's services. And then they quickly move past this and talk about school. And she asked him how it's going. And then they discuss the book, Great Expectations. And he's like, I've heard about it. Tell me about it. So, you know, she's very excited because she can get to have these conversations in person with him. And, you know, know how he is readjusting. To the college life. In a new environment. So we're back with Sax. Working to rebuild his team. So we meet a. Supporting character named Agent Garza. Who knows that your boy Sax is poison. And not to work with him. Because he's low down and dirty. But. Garza's like he's poison. He doesn't want to get near him. But. Because he worked with Donovan, and he was like, "Yo, it's pretty much like, yo, it's messed up. Like, what would happen to him on a job? Like, you should have done better with that." Um, and he pulled him in by telling him who they were against. That Davis is representing Tasha, and Davis had almost ruined Agent Garza. Um, Sack says he'll do everything by the book, and you know, makes a promise that we all know he can't keep. As fans of the power universe. And then they um, there's also a major plot hole here later in the season with Agent Garza. Um, like I know in season two, he'll be pissed at the decision that Saks made at the end of the season. Um, we're back with Tariq while he's with Professor Milgram and they are talking. Um, she requested some time with him. And she's more so pressing him to talk, and she's trying to reassure him that there's a safe space there for him, that he could talk with her about whatever, and, you know, and hopefully she he can see his dad in a different light, like she refers to him as James. Like, I don't know how much she knows about this case and what's being insinuated, but you know, she's saying she hopes that, you know, I guess she has a counseling background as well, or definitely some training in her role, like, you know, to, to be a little bit more comfortable opening up, but definitely looking at his dad a little differently because she can kind of see that he has heavy disdain for his dad. Um, then Zeke tells him it's time to go to family dinner and a text message. And, you know, Tariq is very polite and stuff to any this. Like, may I be excused or whatever? And then we jump to Jabari, a.k.a. Professor Reynolds. Same person. I'll be using those names interchangeably along with some other names. I may call this F-boy because your boy blew me this season. It's like, oh, my gosh, there's always something with you. Like, can you ever stop hating? Can you ever stop being crazy? Spoiler alert, the answer is no, but um, we see them talking and he discovers um, that brief meeting she had with them and he tells her she never listens to what people want because she has this great idea. Oh, we're going to hold a memorial service for his dad here on campus, let him know he has support, but he don't want that. He was like, well, what did he say? Um, That's when he then says, you know, she never listens to what people want and put a pin in that because they definitely have some background in that relationship, um, or lack thereof, according to her, she's a player. (laughs) Um, but as they continue to talk, this is where you see the layers of their past start to peel back like that onion, that, (laughs) um, that onion reference from Shrek I just, that just pops into my head. I try not to do it, but you know, randomly these things happen. Um, then he says like, you know, what, something about this look that she hasn't forgiven him, but we don't know just yet, but he tells her that, you know, you got me this job here. Like you know, he's trying to get back in good with her. He's like, oh, if you can't be this mad at me because or else I literally wouldn't be here right now. And she tells him they got to keep it professional. In other words, he ain't hitting that again. They used to smash clearly. It's said in not so many words. Um, but he also asked why would she even put him on with the job if she didn't want that? And you know, they end up banging it out. Like passionate steamy sex scene and you know they clearly can't resist each other and there was a lot of love there and you know they're they get into it deeper in the season but just not this episode just yet until next scene (laughs) because she's in a coffee shop diner or whatever with her sponsor And here we learn of her sex and love addiction. So that was clearly a piece of it. Maybe he wanted more of an exclusive relationship with her or wanted more. And she is, you know, she has this addiction and it's it's like she has an insatiable appetite, apparently. That's what they're alluding to. And she's sitting here clearly lying to herself and this lady. Cause she's saying all these things, and but her sponsor, Homegirl, calls her out and saying, See, now you're being a girl, he put in that novel. Uh, scratch the record, rewind. We hear like what is really the T. Um, he clearly is a novelist, a writer, and she tells more about that. Um, and her sponsor advises her to be smart and to only talk to them about work, never be alone, never behind a closed door. Um, and she said, this thing is cute in your 20s, but is this really what you want your life to look like? You know, being a good sponsor. Um, and trying to, you know, advise her to not fall into these self-destructive patterns um, that her addiction causes her to, you know, and the decisions that it causes her to make. And she's like, look, do you really, like, in other words, you really want to be this messy? like, you keep complaining about stuff that happens, but here you are doing it again. Like, what? The definition of insanity is to do the same things and ask for different results. Had to throw that quote in here. Um, because this is pretty much Carrie's cycles. Um, so here we are th- at the Tejada family dinner now, and Monet is... Clearly the cool Auntie because she's asking Tariq if she's sure if he's sure he doesn't want to drink as she's pouring Zeke up. Um well she pours him up after and he's like, Well, I ain't I'm clearly not playing, I'll take another one. Um It doesn't really allude to the kids' age, except Diana, um, for later in the season where she asks like why she couldn't go to school too. But Kane, it's Kane, Drew, Diana so Diana's the baby um, and she and Monet just runs their life, makes all the decisions um, along with the dad, they don't always agree we'll get into that later in the season so after she pours up, because he ain't playing he assures the family that he'll get back soon cause Reek is the smartest nigga he know so the get back is coming. So we can see Kane start to hate hella hard. He's another day one hater of Tariq. <laughs> Tariq got all these haters, bro. It's so funny. But it works for the storyline. So Drew and Diana are impressed by his art and canonical studies class. He tells them about the program. Like, yeah, I could finish in three years if I want. And I'm just taking this art class that I had to fill it in. And then Drew's like, art? Art? I love art. Um, so there's a knock on the door after. And Monet one of the kids asked, Who is it? And she's like, I look like Miss Cleo. Like that was super funny. Like, I'm sitting right here with you. What do you think? Somebody get the door, it ain't gonna be me. So Kane gets up and answered the door. And it's Uncle Frank, he surprises everyone. Um, clearly, loosely ter- loose term uncle here. Maybe he may not be actual blood to the family, but you know how it goes when it's like a drug syndicate in that family. You know, from if you watch any of these types of shows, um, especially in a power universe, they really make the emphasis on like your team. You know, you crew, you down with being family. Um, that's a heavy, heavy theme in this universe. So, Uncle Franks makes... This is where I think he's might, might not be blood, but then again, it's all types of creeps. So, he makes a creep-ass comment about Princess Diane, and he's like, oh, you feel that nice. Like, pretty much like, you got... Girl, you got body yada yada now. Like, baby done grew it up. And that is so cringy to me because he... It's clearly old. I mean, of course, I know it's an actor I'm talking about, but, like, that is just unsettling to me. So, he keeps on, you know, lip service, blah, 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 So, Monet just instantly shuts shit down. Um, She ends dinner. She tells Diana to clear the table. She makes Drew take Frank out, wherever he's going back to, and Kane take Rick home, and she tells... Zeke to stay because he'd been drinking. Now, obviously, she picked him to t- Kane to take Reek back to campus because she wanted to try and scare him a bit about, you know, what was going down because he was alluding to getting back to work and everything. Um, and She's like, why you get out early? I know it wasn't on good behavior. So they're all just questioning, you know, why he's here unannounced. And he was like, oh, well, Lorenzo says such and such. And hmm, We know it to not be true. Um, He's clearly an informant and is out on a deal. He names everybody by name. He goes like, oh, Zeke, you know, know, clearly stuff that's indicative of somebody wearing a wire. Like, he is adamant to use people's names and, you know, make innuendos. Even, like, the creep-ass comment, like, oh, you done grew up. Like, and then once he gets, he remembers everybody because, of course, you know, in the summers or whatever and after uh zeke moving up for high school he knows everybody and he's asking he's asking reek and do i know you and then you know somebody tells him oh that's zeke's roommate or whatever um and i hope this this information of, of this you know my theory of this alleged wire that he's wearing it's clearly a wire we know power universe comes back in season two and to see what they do with that um but, yeah, because Zeke was drinking underage, and he's an athlete, so she has him stay with her. Um, then Rick gives it straight to Kane, because when Kane is taking him back to campus, he pulls over and has him get out the car and tries to shake him down with this gun. And, and Reek is like, look, you think I need – like, you You think I'm, I'm new to this? Like – Clearly, like, we on the same team. Like, I'm helping him, making sure he play. And you feel like, why would I do something stupid? Like, I'm not on my mouth. I ain't no snitch. And he pretty much is like, yeah, I ain't no rat like an Uncle Frank. And then Kane, he's green to this fact. And he just was so excited to see him. And he was like, what? What you mean? And he was like, you know, only snitches get out quick and quiet. So Rick pretty much was real smart. And, you know, he didn't show no fear to Kane's crazy ass, even though we know he is a live Wire, so yeah, rats get out quick and quiet. Like, one of my favorite lines from my favorite rapper Nas is, Your name is on the affidavit, you rat it, kid. Like, ain't no getting around that. That's where it's talking about, like, informants getting out quick and quiet. All right, so bust this. Rick gets back to campus and he's walking past, he don't know what's going on because he don't paying attention, he's always running late. And we see that there's a campus vigil for James St. Patrick, and it's featuring terrible spoken word um, in the background about this. Like the theme is good; they really tried, but it's just—I guess it was meant to be bad. Um, you know, no judges. I used to perform poetry in my undergrad days, and I look back at some of the stuff I wrote, and even not even—not even the stuff I will perform. Just looking like. I was looking through one of my books the other day and just like, oof. But, you know, you got to get to the good stuff by writing out the bad stuff. So shout out to the artist; They had the background being a spoken word dude. But it was not good in my opinion. <laughs> um, then we see Brayden presses a student to delete the picture that he took. He was taking selfies with the poster that they had made, which was pretty quick. Cause it's like this, and this just goes to tell you that's not only the size of the university, but their endowment and their resources. Cause this is big ass poster of James. Like it don't even look like paper. It looks like nice vinyl to indoor, outdoor stuff. And you know, he's pressing the student to delete it. It's like, well, what you doing? Like, of course they don't know the relationship they might have, um, if they're close friends. But um we see Lauren again and she's like kind of breaking it down like what he's walking in on and then Professor Milgram blows up his spot as he's walking up. And she's like, yeah, and here's his son. Like, it, It's still enough time if you want to catch a few words. Because remember, he went to the dinner. So he's catching the tail end of it. They got people up here doing performance and poetry. And I guess speaking on like how they feel and everything. And. And he looks like so shocked and hurt and re- like it's it's so many emotions that it you know of course it'll be naturally running through somebody's mind in this situation, but the look on Tariq's face too said it all and he was like, Nah, I'm out, like he walked away. He didn't even say anything to Professor Milgram, and he says to Braden, like, Come on, let's go to this party. And Braden's like, Bet, but of course, Jabari was proven right. He pulled up, too, on Carrie, and she was like, oh, I'm see, i I'm glad you came. He was like, I just wanted to see, like, you know, what's happening. He said, I'm, I still want to support it, but I, I still don't agree with you doing this. So we're back at the Tejada household and Diana's quiz by Monet on what to do about Frank. So she tells, him, she t- Monet tells Diana that there's a difference between family and blood. So clearly it shows that it's a blood tie because Diana's like, oh, well, Uncle Frank's family. And she's like, nah, he's not family. He's blood. And um, I have a season two prediction here. Finance Detective Santana, Laz Alonzo, aka my boyfriend, is going to come across this tape if he's not the person leading this investigation. A Frank, you know... Coming to dinner, saying everybody's name, and you know, do I know you, to Tariq, and Diana, you know, spilling the tea, dropping it down like she always does. This is Zeke's roommate, and he's going to find out who his roommate is and this connection with all this stuff that happens later in the season. So, Monet takes a turn to keeping me out here by what she says pretty much offering up Diana on a silver platter to get info that she wants because she, you know, says, did you see the way he looked at you? Like, you got the upper hand on him. You got power. Like, pretty much teaching her ways to work the game and just, you know, learn different things or get information as a woman, you know, to use her feminine wiles. Like, it's crazy that she's saying this about somebody that is her actual uncle or she calls uncle. But, you know, she's pretty much training her, and she's her little minion. Like, they'll get information that she wants because it's clearly not going to be said to Monet. Um, Then Kane comes back. No, he doesn't come back yet. Here, Monet echoes what Tariq said, you know, how rats get out quick and quiet. And Monet tells Zeke, she wakes him up on the couch. She tells him to learn more. She asks him what he knows. About his roommate. He's like, you know, not much. She's like, you know, find out what you can on her for me. And the other way around. Okay. Yeah, she pretty much tells him, like, you know, she asks if he asked. To come to dinner, or if Zeke had extended the invitation to him, and that's when Zeke said he asked. Like she's putting it together, she's peeping what he's seeing, and he he asked her some questions at the dinner, and she had said, "You know, be careful with who you accuse of being a criminal," or maybe I'm jumping the gun because I know that was heavily used in the promo as well. I don't know if it's this scene in this time because I don't see the note yet. But um, we're back at campus, and we're at. With Braden at this frat party at his brother's frat house. You know, he stayed with that phone in his face, like I said, and in um the last episode. You know how people do when they are recording a live or something and they have their phone up, you know, they're in a club or somewhere that's allegedly lit, and they're, you know, showing everything that's around them. And he gets his phone snatched by his brother, his brother Trace, and I hate him instantly. Um <laughs> And he's clearly way too gone. What the F is he doing? He's going to wake up in the morning like, who the F was I screwing? Like, he's clearly a dude, bro. Like I said, this frat is clearly full of dude bros. And then we hear his nickname for Braden Skids. Clearly probably alluding to scare marks that used to be in your boy's jaws when he was little. I found that kind of funny. But as somebody with six siblings and several cousins who I grew up with, like siblings. I know how it is to have these embarrassing nicknames or just be taunted and teased because I used to be the baby. Yeah. My, my cousins and my brother, my older brother's sisters listening to this. Yeah. I know what y'all did suckers, but I still love y'all, but it's just that kind of vibe with them. Um, and if you've ever been to a college party, we see a lot more like these fast, <laughs> like these Mm. These reactions from the Frat Brothers of Trace's, right? So then he he comes up, and it's just so funny how they have the names like Very Dubo, bro, Trace. And Chase, like really, like your right hand has to have a super rhyming name, <laughs> like with you. Um, but He, you know, he was trying to kick, Trace was trying to kick Brayden and Tariq out of the party. Then Chase comes up and recognizes Reek as being Tariq and Tasha's son and say, no, let them say this is super cool. And just, you know, as a drunk white privileged dude, just saying all the wrong things about his mother's case that is going on in the media. So very rude. Very nasty. And he's telling the story wrong as fuck. Anyway, it was like, yeah, his mom killed his dad. No, this is so cool. Just let him stay. Let him stay. And then shit goes down. We hit a popo at the door, busting down the party. And white privilege and wealth works overtime here. Because Trace refuses to let them in the house. He's like, this is my house. You can't enter without a warrant. And they're like, bruh, this ain't your house. This is university property and your friend is renting it. Nice try. Shut the shit down. And here comes that, you know, very privileged thing I was just talking about. Trace refuses not only to let them enter, but he assaults a campus police officer. And after this goes down, your boy Brayden Swoops in like a knight in shining armor and comes out and speaks to a female campus officer, and you know, because they pretty much have they have tracing handcuffs already, and they're trying to do something. And and Braden's like, okay, enough. I have to save this guy. Like he's annoying, but this is still my brother, and I gotta protect him as well at all costs from self destructing and ruin the family name. Similar to what the younger brother in episode one was doing with Cooper sex. Mm, watch these things, these connections. Um. So Rick sees his use here. Brayden comes out and saves his brother by using their names. Like, you know, I'm very sorry for all of this. I'm Brayden and this is my brother, Trace Weston. Like, oh, like, don't forget, like, not only do I pay your bills, like we, like I can ruin you. You'll have you'll be blackballed. None of that because my family has done so much and continues to do for this university. And they're like like the auditor. They was like like the pool. Like they mentioned one of the things that the family has donated to the campus. And then they you know pull up and kind of whisper, you know, let him go. He's a Weston. Like and he's gonna get away with it. And then. Trace walks up the steps and is victorious in all his douche glory and pumps his arms like, yeah, like he's invincible. And, ooh, I just love how it came full circle and he was proving that he was not later in the season. So more on that. Stay tuned for that tea. Alright, and we are almost to the end of the episode, people. So I had less um notes on this episode than the first ones. Um, the very first. Like it depends on when it goes on and how much stuff is in, but and it also depends on how the the events connect to events in the same episode, events and the last episode, events in the original power series. So all this is building and creating this whole universe, which is one of my favorite parts of this show in this series. So we are back with Tasha. We're on the inside and we see an inmate name referred to the, the Marshall S. Jones. They're getting into a verbal a nasty fight. And Jones demands a morning after pill or she'll turn the whole block against her, right? So, you see her power and her stain. She got look. She's like, look, I don't know what you're talking about, but all I know is I need my goddamn morning after pill, so make it happen, bitch. Like, she is cussing her out and down. So, Tasha sees this and her gears start working. She she notices, overhears it from her cell and kind of like peeks out and, you know, see the tea and... This is going to prove beneficial to her later. And we're back with Davis and Sachs and they are in the judges chambers and Davis is calling Sachs, (laughs) fuck buddy. Cutty, cutty, buddy, for sure. She was heated about how he treated her at the end of episode one by ruining her case and not telling her. So they're calling in witnesses, you know, to to determine if they're going to go to trial. Um, If you watch any other shows, like legally or whatever. They do this sometimes to, you know, see the inside of what happens in the judge's chambers before and between uh, the cases. So now we are at James's burial and grandma says to Raina's headstone, we miss you, baby girl, but you're not alone anymore. And then she's upset at, you know, she's calling it what it is, the production that this funeral is turning out to be. There's telepress. There's mad people there. Um, so the funeral is actually being held at the gravesite. So that was a part clearly of Davis's plot. But then we learn that Stephen Ott also had some shit up his sleeve too. So we have Tasha's defense team, the um, the AUSA office, Cooper Sacks. Stephen Ott, John Mock, everybody's there. Tasha pulls up. Um, MV, federal van, and has taken out and escorted by the federal marshals. The podium set up. We see the Reverend come out from the original power series, who also eulogized Raina. That was set up. And then we see your boy, fine ass Lorenz, take come back. Mm, that man is beautiful. Um So, (laughs) Grandma Grifter starts to ask Tariq how he could drop all that coin and knowing that her and Yaz are scraping by, like, girl, like, how greedy can you get? You are sitting here, you know, trying to pressure him to give you money that he don't even have access to. Like, I don't remember if she was there at the reading of the will, but she knows he can't get nothing, but... Then she learns he didn't pay for it. This was your boy Simon Stern. So we're getting it in. So Grandma Estelle is clearly an OG city girl. She asking what a bag at nigga, what a bag at. Um, And last minute, Tasha. is going to eulogize or it's planned for her to eulogize James. So Tariq doesn't have to deal with this ethical dilemma, this moral conundrum of if he's going to bash his dad or not. Um So then this is foil because like I said, my boyfriend, Lorenz Tate, Um, I love that I use his same name too for the show, but he walks up, um, He's brought in by the DNC um, and Reek steps up because they knew he was apprehensive. And, you know, so it was all this back and forth about who's going to do James's eulogy. We know that, you know, him, Tate and Ghost, you know, they have their transactional relationship. But at the end, he hated each other because, like, he kind of stole the nomination that he wanted, but then he said, okay, fuck it. I'm going to run for governor. So of course he's looking at it from a political angle, trying to eulogize his friend. And Tasha's like, no, I'm going to do that for my husband, which was supposed to be you know, the political angle of her doing that. to, you know, essentially prove her innocence in front of these cameras and, you know, with the jury selection, everything I mentioned previously. Um, but then after it's foiled that Tasha can't. Um, but previously to that, we see uncle Gabe. This is Glenn Turman, um, who played the Colonel in a different world. He introduces himself to reek and he said he sees James in him, um, pretty much like not even just physically, I guess, but he starts spitting game to him about how, you know, he always told him or his dad also all, told James there's only two places a drug dealer ends up. So he is reading him like he knows what's going on, I guess. Um, You know, the two places, of course, if you never heard this, that they say drug dealers end up as dead or in jail. Um, And this changes Reek's heart along with Tasha's words previously about this eulogy. So after they put the cuffs on her and say like, you know, they... Davis is like, this wasn't the plan. What are you doing? She can't go up there with those cuffs, like eulogizing him because that's going to just look so bad and just foil the angle they were going for. And then that's when it's presented like, oh, you know, he'll do, Tate will do it. And then Reek's like, no, I'm going to do it. He steps up, you know. He mans up or bosses up as uh, Stern has suggested. And he uses Tasha's words opening. My father is a complicated man or was a complicated man. So Sachs was shut down for answers um, on Sullivan from Ott. Sullivan, that's her name. I couldn't remember. Sarah Sullivan, I guess, the um, prosecutor. So he was trying to ask like more questions like, oh, what happened there? Because he's back in bed with her because of what Ott had did and and said. So the Reverend begins to say that James came to him in his darkest days and wanted to be a better man. So of course you can see on the Tariq's face that he's feeling guilty and terrible for, you know, taking his dad out. Um, And he says he didn't agree with all of his choices, his dad's choices, but he learned about how he wanted to live his own life. You know, this is also an illusion to, or foreshadowing to how, you know, he wanted to be this drug dealer. And not only does he want to be this drug dealer, he wants to be better at it than his father um, at hiding his his underground life. Um, he said he taught me lessons on knowing who to trust. And it's, it's panning it to the people in the audience. Like, it's it pans to Simon Stern there and Davis. Like, so pretty much, you know, giving foreshadowing into what's going on in not only this season, but future seasons. But he's saying his dad taught him who to trust and about thinking ahead and finding a better way to do just about anything. And this, of course, is another you know, not to him becoming a better version of his dad when it comes to balancing and hiding this legit and then this underground life as a drug dealer. And then he says, somehow I'm learning more now than when he was alive. And saying how his dad wanted him to have what he never did and how he's the manifestation of what he can never be. That was a good ass line. They were strong there, and it's just you know talking more about because the show obviously, duh, is called Power Book Two: Ghost. How he's becoming the second version or the second coming? I guess I don't want to you know make it seem like make him seem like a pariah or whatever, but you know a better version of his dad. Um, and then he said with that shot of, oh yeah, then comes that beautiful shot that was in the promo and the promo photos of the casket going down and Yaz and Tariq holding each other's hands and looking down at, you know, James being laid to rest. And that's one of the best shots of the season to me. It's very poignant and it just, you know, kind of goes into more about how that ghost, so, you know, ghost is literally like a ghost now. And, you know, he's been put together. Put to rest And a new gross is rising Or whatever and it's also different too Because you know he shot and killed his father And he didn't stay there the whole time But you know that final season That was also in all the promos For the season finale Of Ghosts Of Power and the series finale Of Power the first book Of when James after he was Shot when he fell off that balcony And fell down Um so I just love that connection. So she asked, so before Tariq, before Tasha leaves her family, um, the marshals that assisted her saying like, you know, no talking inmate, like they are just on it because, you know, and and then they're also, I guess, doing their jobs because. They don't want to, what actually happened, happened. But she tells Rick she needs currency. So pretty much not even just saying like, oh, I need money on my books, but just saying like, I need a morning after pill for another inmate. So pretty much she's trying to buy herself protection on the inside. Jump back to the judge's chambers with Sachs and Davis McLean. Sullivan, the prosecutor, is under oath. And after... <clears throat> being asked some questions. She says she only knew Tommy was a bad actor and she spills all this tea about Ot and Saks pressuring her to offer this deal for Tasha to take. And well, Ott wasn't in the picture yet, I don't believe. But then Sack calls Blanca in and he uses her. Um The even them bringing Blanca back was like a big pull. So you know they're telling us a lot. You know we're going to see a lot of familiar faces. Obviously from how that last series had ended, and how this one had started, um, and just getting into the story and creating a story. So he uses her. She's he's asking her these questions and she's giving more insight you know, into like her side and like the full story. Because remember, she has dirt on him. She knows he's dirty and the things he's done or whatever. But he asked her to just, you know, she's under, oath. she has to do this, to just limit her answers to yes and no. So the judge even tells Sax he needs to play by the book and Blanca tells Davis on her way out to make sure she testifies because Tasha is no queenpin and Sax is dirty as fuck. Like so they obviously know what is into all this because she helped assist with the case on the NYPD side and all of the local things like what Terry Silver going missing and all that jazz. Now, we cut back to Kane off of Uncle Frank. They're at the bar. This bar is significant. Put a pin in that. They come into the bar. And uh, Monet's right hand owl is with him. And, like, you know, they close the door. Uncle Frank is drinking. Clearly, he got a drinking problem. And he's, this is pretty early. He's at the bar taking back these drinks. He was just... Inside, and he has to drink no more toilet, fermented shit wine, and <laughs> um, he gets the access to the good stuff. So, right away, Kane do not even shoot him or nothing, he just pistol whips him. Kane and Owl drags him to the basement where they then, you know, put down a thing, he's already unconscious. See, you know, Kane just pop pops two to the head real quick, and then they start to chop your boy up. This is crazy. Then they pull, like, some... I think I saw this on Breaking Bad. You know, you see it on quite a few shows where they mix that stuff that turns... Those chemicals that can turn human bodies into sludge. So, after shooting him, you know, they have this tarp out, and they start cutting him up. And they put him inside of a a big, like, a keg refill. Because, remember, this is at a bar. And... this at the end like drew comes out to help him take these cans in and uncle frank fits into two big kegs and they make it look like it's just a pickup delivery switch out thing and nobody like you know he came in nobody's seen him come out like it's real low but then again like i said put a pin into this for later into this season slash season two where it's to be expected that you know of course uncle frank is a known informant and it's it's not just gonna go over well that, like it's not just gonna be swept under the rug by whoever is investigating and is sending him as an informant. <clears throat> so we move to Diana where she surprises Reek on campus. Um, so that advice that Monet gave her about Uncle Frank is not just that, or maybe it wasn't exactly about Uncle Frank because she already could tell that got a little thing for Diana and vice versa. He sees right through it. He's like, so Monet sent you, huh? Like, and then he tells a college ass joke to her (laughs) as she says, and that was cute because the one he said was it. And the joke was, when you know what to look for people are easier to read than a PDF. (laughs) That is so funny and obviously corny or whatever. and. You know, he clearly ain't tried, but it was cute. And she's clearly smart enough to pick it up as well. Um, They're around the same age, roughly. Don't really give much insight into that. But Tariq does have a milestone birthday happen this season that was in the promos. He turns 18. Um, He asked Diana to ask her dad, Lorenzo Tejada, for a morning after pill. And to hide it inside of a book for his mom. So, of course, this is an allusion to, you know, Great Expectations, the episode title. They discussed the book earlier in the episode. This is a smart cover. So, Detective Diana reports this information back to her mom. And, like, I know something you don't know. Tasha needs a friend inside. (laughs) Um, And she tells her to get her a pill and a burner. And this is also, you know, that callback that the book was never left when it was removed later in the season. Um, I don't really know how they did that, but there is someone clearly on the inside, like they got pulled, they got people on the inside in jails and outside that are being paid to help the Tejadas run their organization without a hitch. Um, Then Tasha calls Reek. And he's kind of surprised, and he tells her he found another way besides his dad and his Uncle Gabe's way out. Um, then we cut to Kane, spotting Ramirez, and dipping off. Um, this is, he sees Ramirez coming from giving Monet, a uh, Manila envelope, like one of those photos where somebody sends you some documents. Um, one of those type of um, envelopes with, you know, the CI information. Frank, he's like, but I'm guessing you knew that. You know, he's like, did you know you went missing? And she's pretty much like, "Up." Oh. Like, so he brings her a gift. He brings her that and a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue Label. A known nice cognac, because clearly Monet loves her brown liquor. Um, and he brings, she was like, these snitch papers? And then <clears throat> she, he, again, he says that he's missing. And she was like, it could be anybody. Like, in other words, like, don't even try to put like, you know, like, it is what it is. You didn't give me a heads up. And she's like, what well, I'm going to do with this? Like, she don't want to accept his gift. Um, and she was like, where was my warning? She said they don't. She pretty much like rejects his thing. I can't read my chicken scratch from my notes. Oh, she's talking about the papers like now, like it being late. She said, those don't do shit for me, and neither does that bullshit referring to the Johnny Walker. Um, just a little background on that. The retail value was anywhere from like beginning at about $130 for the bottle that's, I'm guessing like the size of that bottle. I used to bartend. Um, that looks to be like the standard 750 milliliter bottle. Um, that's clearly pricey and the average age of this is 25 years and it's the most expensive type that johnny walker has they have blue label they have black label they have red label but blue label is the most expensive they carry that's from my research so she's not having it. he's trying to butt up with an expensive gift like that is a lot to drop on some liquor he is on a cop salary of course we don't know i'm not pocket watching him but i don't know what they're paying him but he's clearly an extra income but he's trying to you know have a gesture of a peace offering and she said, look, she said, you keep talking about this protection. Um, and he's saying he knew it shouldn't have flown, and he agrees to forgive her. No, she agrees to forgive him, excuse me, if she if he delivers the dirt on Tariq. Then it goes into a preview for the next episode, and in the episode, um, the after show episode, well the into the episode, not the after show again, because that may not be coming. It definitely wasn't for the first season. I don't know if they're going to do it on the back end um, or however they're going to do it once production rules change because of COVID regulations. But um, Courtney Kemp is talking about how reeks remorse grows over the season from him killing ghosts because he's starting to see the consequences more. Um, and I can attest to her saying that because it's just the second episode. Um, she says the first half from something to be made. Wow, my cursive. Like, I need something a little stronger than that. <laughs> we will bad to take my notes on. Because, yeah, this here and I should send pictures, post pictures online on the socials. Um, so she refers to, to Monet as a general. Um, she talks about her having Diana clear the table was doing the girls work and then shows that she's invested in training her to be the brains of the operation as she is now. Um, that's not the child that Lorenzo wants to take over, but she's training her for that anyway. Um, Reek and Braden, he says he sees he knows how to maneuver and has no idea, um, of how this Weston name, you know, had staying on campus and possibly off and how, you know, they can kind of operate under the radar because he's not going to get caught being a Weston and he's not going to get kicked out. This is different from Choate, like their family has the stain there. And then again, I don't think Brading got kicked out of Choate either. Whatever. Um, maybe because he's there. That's also not clear kind of a plot hole. Then um, she says she wanted to bring it to tell the truth um, for Rik at his father's funeral. Courtney Kemp wanted, um, she gave the eulogy at her father's funeral. And she used that speech to give Easter eggs that Tariq had. Obviously, like I was talking about the camera panning to certain members in the audience as he was repeating reciting certain lines. Um, she said it's also to remind us of the legacy of Ghost, of who we was, is, and always will be, because remember, that's it. And also, I forgot to mention the whole ne- reason and the whole way Ghost got his name, and um, in the series of power, we often would see him run to clear his head. And he will also peep certain stuff in the neighborhood. He creeped on Angela a couple times that way and creeped on a lot of people that way by just like being somebody taking a run. Um, so he was known for being quick and fast. And it's like if something went down, it's like a ghost was there because he was in and out like he was fast, wasn't seen, wasn't heard, nothing. So that's where the nickname came from. Um, his plug. His Mexican plug, Lobos, referred to him and as a Spanish word a lot of time too, fantasma. I love how that sounds. I wish they referred to him as that more. Yeah, but that is it. This is Ghosted Episode 2 from Power Book 2, Ghost Episode Two exceeding expectations did this episode exceed expectations for you of the show i know for sure that this episode of ghosted exceeded your expectations so join me online hit the links in the show notes and let me know what you think about the show did I miss anything out? I know I didn't because these notes, y'all heard them rustling. But what were your what was your opinion on the things discussed? Like engage with me in this dialogue and we can talk theories and all these Easter eggs and callbacks to the original show. Yeah, so holla at your girl. Bye. Thanks for listening to Ghosted, a Power Book 2 ghost review podcast here at Get It Right. Don't forget to click the link in the show notes to connect with Get It Right on all of your fave social media outlets. Until next time, peace out.